This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martireno. We're here to talk about, in a, in a very broad and macro sense, behavioral health, which covers a wide range of both the psychological, emotional issues, as well as a particular interest in uh, substance abuse and treatment and recovery. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more a little bit later. Well, we've I, I've got a show I've, I've been looking forward to uh, for a while now. And we've been waiting to get our guest on today. A very interesting uh, uh, lady. M- uh, Marissa Vitali is a Brooklyn-based actress and producer. Uh, Marissa found her way into acting at an early age. And, and we'll find out all, all about what uh, sent her off on the yellow brick road straight ahead. Um, it's a tough field, as you know. Uh, m- more people fail at acting than, su- than succeed. And uh, Mar- uh, Marissa found herself uh, swept up in a, a lot of disappointment early on that led to a pretty serious uh, substance abuse problem. She found herself um, in a uh, serious heroin addiction by the age of 25. Uh, She has gone on to take this experience and turn it into a positive because she's successfully sober now and has taken her art and decided to shed a light on the problem that we are all very familiar with. Uh, Among many other things Marissa's doing, she has produced... Uh, written and acted in a short film entitled Grace, which is based on the story of her struggles with substance abuse. We welcome um, uh, Marissa Vitali on Recovery Radio. Marissa, how, how are you? First of all, welcome back to the country. I know, you, I know you've been on oh, the world. Thank winter. you so much. Before I get into, uh, you know, who is Marissa Vitali, you've been where? Con and everywhere else? Yes, I just returned from the Cannes Film Festival where my current feature film was selected to be part of a finance initiative and we were chosen to pitch the film to a room full of private equity investors and it was just a wonderful experience being able to move into pre-production on that film. Mm-hmm. Well, if you survive Cannes, then you, you're, you're really... On, on firm footing here. Let's find you. Brooklyn based. Were you were you born in New York? Tell us about yourself. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. I, so let's begin at the beginning. Are you from Brooklyn? Where were you born? What, what was your background? Of course, I actually grew up on Long Island, mm-hmm. and I came into the city. I attended New York University undergrad, where I was at Tisch Drama, and I studied acting at NYU. And then after graduation, I stayed in the city, and I've kind of moved through the boroughs from New York City, Queens, and most recently in New York, Brooklyn. So uh, when did you decide that you wanted to be an actor? Well, I was always performing as a kid. Dance was my primary kind of form of self-expression growing up, and then as I moved into junior high and high school is when I was exposed to the world of the wonderful world of musical theater and I had the opportunity to be cast and perform in some of those school productions and that's when I kind of started to get in touch with the aspect of acting and performing stories on on a stage and in a theater and then when it came time for college applications, I started applying for musical theater programs, and that's when I was accepted to the New York University's program for drama. So at that time, I made a decision to just kind of focus solely on the acting component, and it was there when I was studying at Lee Strasberg Theater Institute that I realized this is what I wanted to do. 
Wow, you started. In, I mean, talk about talk about the right place to uh, to learn your chops. Uh, do you have uh, siblings? What's your, what was your family like growing up? I actually don't. I was an only child growing up, and so yeah, just myself and my parents. You know, we grew up in suburbia, the epitome of suburbia, and. You know, we I grew up with all of the things, right? Like captain of cheerleading, straight A student, lead in the high school musicals, you know, all the things on the outside that everybody thinks are a sign of I don't know, success right. or that everything is quote unquote okay. So well. As a result of the, the current opioid crisis, we've now had to re- rethink that entire notion of who you know, who gets uh, who gets addicted to, uh, to to drugs like like heroin? So there's nothing yeah. there's nothing in your childhood or your background that would have indicated you you'd head off into that path. Uh, characterize your your experimentation with drugs or alcohol as as a youngster. Was it your garden variety stuff? Or was it a problem when you were say in high school? No, I can't say that drugs were an issue in high school. Um, I can share that I was bullied as a child growing up in school and having to deal with that and navigate that world. And I do feel that that was somewhat preemptive to wanting and needing that form of escape, right? Of not knowing what to do with those feelings, not knowing how to deal with those situations. And this particular group of girls followed me from elementary school all the way through high school and so you know throw in adolescence and raging hormones and not knowing how how to navigate emotions I really found that you know at the time in high school drinking was kind of a nice escape from having to feel those feelings however I can share that the drinking that I did do in high school was on a Friday night at you know I don't know, a a high school football keg party, so to speak. No different from the other high school kids that I was with. It never interfered with school. um, And it was never, at the time, out of hand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Tell us about your early um, studies and acting. How how, um, rapidly did you progress through that? It's a very difficult, you know, very difficult profession to want to get into, particularly for a woman who has a shorter shelf life, unfortunately. Um, what was it like for you in school? Did you excel in school? And then did you have quick success? Or tell us about those early days. Sure. Um, yes, school was wonderful. You know, I graduated with a little bit over a 3.0 average, and I majored in drama. I minored in Italian literature. I really enjoyed my time at NYU, and I felt that I thrived within that community. I received an award of excellence upon graduation from Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. I was one of four chosen to be a part of the Senior Showcase. So I really maximized my time there in terms of cultivating a craft for Mm -hmm. acting, and I really enjoyed my time there. I can say... Really, for me, during that time, I also became very into the club scene in New York City, and that's really when kind of drug experimentation really kind of started at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like everyone, it was 
you know, well, we're just partying and this is a fun time kind of thing. And, um, you know, and it became a way to manipulate time, right, to stay up later, to cram in those papers, uh, to study extra for that test. Mm -hmm. kind of thing. I never had it interfering with my schoolwork. However, I did have it kind of um, using it as a way to navigate through the schoolwork and the deadlines and the exams. And, um, and so it kind of became a part of that when you say world type of thing. Yeah, when you say navigate, you were using things to keep you up longer and sharpen your focus. Is that what you're talking about? Um, no, not so much, but, you know, just uh, really when I was in school, it was kind of before the whole Ritalin craze. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I mean, pulling all-nighters to study and then needing to sleep and, right. you know, just just really kind of using, using, yeah, using substances to just make sure that I was able to go to school full-time and party and have fun and have a job and kind of you know, burn the candle at both ends, so to speak. Yeah. And and then again, you, you were you were uh, in show business. You were trying to get into show business, and that life has its own particular, uh, um, you know, traps that you you can fall into. The, the social aspect of it, I'm sure, was uh, was pretty prominent. So so we're, I'm seeing a picture of somebody who's ambitious, uh, who's mm-hmm. intelligent, who's hardworking, and who is uh, using drugs, perhaps a little recklessly, but but not in a problem sense. When did that all change for you? Um, I can say that it all changed when I found myself in a relationship with someone who was using heroin at the time. And, you know, up until that point, having pretty much tried everything and done everything and not have seen myself as having a quote-unquote problem of kind of like seeing myself in control of all these things, I found myself saying, yeah, sure, let's do it. I'll try it. I've done everything else. How different can it be? And then realizing, you know, two, three months down the road that I'm actually physically addicted to this substance. It happened that it, it happened that quickly for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And up until that point, you know, I thought that I was in control of it. Like, I'm choosing to do this every day because I want to, because I like the way it feels, not realizing that physically my body is needing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the revelations that people on the outside of this disease of addiction don't can't seem to get their head around. When when you say you ask them, well, why do you suppose someone would do this? And you say, well, because they like the way it feels. They, Mm -hmm. they, They don't get it. But so you're motivated by. You don't want to stay pace with your with your new uh, significant other there, and uh, it doesn't seem like a problem, but uh, then it does be- become a problem. We're, we're going to take a break here now and pick up on uh, that story. Uh, Marissa Vitale uh, is our guest. She is an actor. She's one of those hyphenated people that I envy so much. <laughs> uh, a- actor, writer, producer, and talking about how she uh, overcame a pretty serious uh, problem with heroin and has turned uh, that experience into or shine a light on it with, with her work, as I said, in all those fields. This is Recovery Radio. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirana with you, our guest on the telephone from, from a, from a uh, 
very uh, stormy uh, Brooklyn, apparently, at this time of the, of the, uh, of the uh, year, uh, is Marissa Vitale, our uh, Brooklyn-based actress and producer. She's here to tell us about her struggle with uh, heroin addiction and how she's turned uh, that story into um, her, her work, uh, most notably a short film called Grace, which we're going to get into later. Um, we're giving a little, just a little bit of trouble on the phone. I hope it's okay for you guys. So, uh, so Marissa... Your active uh, heroin use, how long did that last? I was using for five years. Where, did you progress to uh, intravenous use? No, I did not. You did not. And what, what, what effect was that having on your work and life? It was all-consuming. That was the life, right? I mean, live to use, use to live kind of thing, you know? And once again, at the beginning, it starts off as a party. Isn't this fun? Isn't this fabulous and great? And, you know, very quickly just becomes just getting up to do that kind of thing and maybe go to work and get some money to get the next one and the next one and the next one. How, what, what was your, uh, what was your con- consumption up to it? It's worst. How, how much were you using? I mean, I can say it was just by the end, it was like whatever we could do to not be sick mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, the money is non-existent or it's tight. So, um, I mean, I would say, anywhere from a bundle to two bundles a day, mm-hmm. depending financially, mm-hmm. because there were two of us. So, um, you know. A couple of hundred bucks, four or five hundred bucks, right? Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. around you, in, in your social circle, was this a secret or was it, was it, was it widely known that people were doing heroin uh, recreationally and getting it? You know, what was going on around you? Um. That's a really good question. I mean, if I reflect back on it, I feel like because we were both in the club scene, it was like everybody was doing something, whatever that was. So um, drugs were just around and part of that world and that life. So um, any friends from previous times in my life were really kind of non-existent at that time. And my family was, I really, um, you know, did my darndest to, uh, you know, wear the mask that everything was okay and not have my family a part of Mm -hmm. what was happening Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. thing, which meant keeping them out at arm's length or not showing up for things because I was too high. So kind of limiting my interaction with my family during that time. Um, And so really kind of just trying to keep it together, you know, kind of thing. And realizing at the same time that it's, totally out of control yeah one of the tragedies of this disease for um different folks it's different for everybody of course you seem to be that most difficult case where you're you know you are kind of high functioning uh you you know you're not you're not robbing drugstores and you know waking up in, in the street so and that only you know lets you behave this way longer when does it stop for you when do you go was there a specific event or a series of events where you said, I can't do this anymore? Was it costing you jobs, friendships? Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, of course. I mean, but because of the the 
like the ability to rationalize and you know keep using right you don't it doesn't really register the loss of jobs the loss of friends um it's very easy to point the finger it's them it's not you you know and when you point the finger at one person the rest of the fingers are being pointed back at you you know so it's very easy to say that it's everybody else's fault everybody else's problem um but really i mean of course there was a ton of stuff that happened that was very dramatic. You know, uh, there was somewhat of a family intervention with my, who then became my ex-husband at the time. There was somewhat of a family intervention for him on his part, which just really created a big kind of storm and drama. And it got to the point where we were evicted from the apartment. And really it was kind of that crossroads in using of like, this is like you're not able to keep this as a secret anymore. Um, you know, my parents also found out, and so it was kind of a decision of like, do I do the things that I never that I said I would never do to continue to use and to support my habit, mm-hmm. or do I just go to rehab so I don't have to listen to everybody? Mm-hmm. And everything that they're saying just to get away from that right. kind of thing. And that was, for me, the crossroads that I was at. And, I mean, I'm on the thin side as it is. I can say I was down to, like, 85 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Like, I had no more hustle in me. I was exhausted. I was run down. And so, for me, I really kind of saw – I didn't go to rehab to get clean, I really saw going to rehab as a vacation in a warped way. And anybody that's using or has used knows what I'm talking about. I just saw it as a break from responsibility. And I didn't have any more money accessible to use with. And I didn't even have it in me to try to, like, hustle up something to try to get more money, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for me, that was what the decision was. So I never really officially made a decision of like, I want to get clean. It's time to get clean. Well, it, you know what? Uh, yeah, everybody gets a sobriety uh, in their own way. So you, you sort of got, got tricked into it. You went in for a, uh, for a rest and a recharge. And uh, you only you went to rehab, detox rehab once, right? And it took. I did do a detox. I did a methadone detox, like a five-day cheap detox. And, you know, I went back out and I used. And then I was, like, in this um, like in this middle ground because at that time it was, like, you know, Medicaid and just, like, in the red tape of the system, which I had never been in before. And so then that went on for about, like, two, three weeks. And then I got into Daytop, which was a therapeutic community at the time. And once again, I just went as a vacation, three hops on a cot, like a place I can sleep. And like my intention was, I'm going to go there, like, you know, put some weight on, like get some space from all this noise and drama with family and everything. And I'm going to figure out what my next move is. Uh, And so, you know, I went there and I kicked cold turkey, you know, and, uh, being in a therapeutic community is very different from being in a rehab and, you know, had all like the household responsibilities being there. And, you know, I didn't even sleep for the first 30 days. So, um, you know, 30 days came up and I was like, I can't go. Like, I feel, I still feel so weak. I have no energy. So I stayed longer. And, um, 
And that's really kind of what kept me there was that physically I just didn't have it in me. Yeah, out of gas. To go back out and like I didn't have that. What was the next move, kind of thing? Well, let me let me so stop I, let me stop you there, Mercer, because we don't want to get you backed up here. I'll let you finish that sure. that story about um, your very successful uh, struggles here because sort of buried the lead here. You're 17 years sober. We have more with uh, our guest, uh, Marissa Vitali, straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We will return with our guest, uh, Mar- uh, Marissa Vitali, straight ahead. I just want to remind you that uh, our sponsor is uh, Retreat Behavioral Health. They, uh, as I said, behavioral health now covers a wide range of, uh, of issues about people's well-being. Um, we we, we uh, tell you this every week. Uh, you'll get good answers from uh, Retreat. What you won't get is some kind of sales pitch that they're the only place in the world that you can get your problems straightened out, be they substance abuse or emotional issues. This program and their sponsorship is dedicated to information and education about these problems. So when I give you the phone number for Retreat, it's uh, I'm confident you're going to talk to somebody who can help you get some answers to whatever questions you might have. And I tell you this every week, every time as well, I hope you never have to use the number. I really do. But in a, in a, in a crunch, it might be a place to turn. 855-859-8808, 855-859-8808, Retreat Behavioral Health. From uh, the Fighting Borough of Brooklyn, Marissa Vitale joins us. She is an actress, producer, and writer who struggled with uh, a heroin addiction uh, many, many years ago, got herself sober, and is now in her 18th year. She's been 17 years sober. That is, by um, most estimates or any estimate, a, a terrific, terrific success story. So, so uh, uh, Marissa, you, you got yourself into the right environment. You, you, stopped, you stopped using. Um, how... So, uh, this sounds like a silly question, but tell us about how your life began to turn around and your feelings about that once you stopped using. Hmm. That's an interesting question because I just showed up. I just put one foot in front of the other. I mean, because your first year clean, I mean, mine was, my head was so spun. I didn't know what was going on, what was happening. The one thing that I took from rehab, being there, I stayed 90 days, Mm -hmm. was meeting Makers Make It. And I just ran with that because they had H&I commitments come in and every person that talked about relapse, they said they stopped making meetings. And so that was the one thing that that, that stuck that yeah. I was able to, like, wrap my head around. Right. And uh, I just started doing that. When you, when, when you mentioned one step at a time, you know, just it's so it's so interesting to hear that. In other words, when you get out of rehab, it's not like they you graduate and they give you a ribbon and now you know, oh, good, I'm good. You just get out there and go, let's see what happens next. I'll, I'll just take this, this day. I know it's a cliche, one at a time, and suddenly you find yourself 17 years um, sober. Uh, well, I, again, I, uh, congratulations! Uh, congratulations on that. That's that's you know, as you know, a miracle. Um, what's interesting about your your work now? You, you you're an actress and a writer and a producer. Is that you wanted to tell the story of your struggle, but you've taken a very uh, common story at this point of substance abuse and recovery and focused on a very fresh aspect of it. I don't remember seeing anything else uh, depicted 
that I can think of or read about where the focus is on that first year of sobriety. It, it all comes together in the short film that, that you did uh, called Grace. Tell us about that film, its origins, and, and w- what your intent was. Sure. I also just want to share that you can find the film on the website, which is www.grace-the-movie.com. And you're more than welcome for the listeners to come and check out the website, follow us on social media. We have a really big conversation of recovery happening. And for me, it was really important to shine light on the first year clean and the struggle to stay clean because using wasn't using wasn't hard it's like i knew at this time i would be sick and i would need this much money to not feel sick and this is what would need to happen to get the money kind of thing right it's like a very systematic way of living Mm -hmm. but once i got clean i had all these feelings i had to face all the hurt the pain the jealousy the resentment the anger uh, the guilt the shame and I didn't have a drug or a drink to hide behind. And I really had to take a look at my part. And who wants to do that? Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. that is so hard. And yes, my family and my friends from before using were very supportive. However, they did not have any experience with addiction. So in their minds, it was kind of coming from the perspective of, well, you're not using heroin anymore, so you're okay. And I felt like I'm not using heroin and I am a hot mess and I don't even know what to do kind of thing. So for me, that was the most difficult time. And I honor anyone that's going through that first year clean of showing up and no matter what, no matter how you feel and not using and, you know, having to clear up the wreckage of your past and face things that you might not be ready to face. I mean, to me, it's a very courageous time. Well, a very vulnerable time because the drug may be yes. gone, but where's my life? Exactly. Right, tell exactly. us about tell us about the character Janice you play in the in the movie, and I know you filmed this in you know in your in your old neighborhoods and around. I did. Around, you know. I did. Tell I us about that. My first. Yeah, I actually spent my first year clean back on Long Island at my parents' house, attending outpatient for that first year, and I found myself working at the diner in town and I had to see people that I went to high school with teachers that I went to high school with and answer those questions on a daily basis of why are you back here and I felt like a turtle without a shell and so that was really the inspiration for the film Grace and Janice she's the head waitress at the Depot Diner which is actually Tim Shipwreck Diner in Northport Long Island where I worked my first year clean and it's She's in her first year of recovery, and it's a day that she has to go to family court to get custody of her daughter. And really, it raises the question of, can I survive my emotions and make these important life decisions and not use? What was the... There is someone who inspired you to, to do this, isn't there? Someone who said, listen, you've got stories to tell. You should start writing this stuff down. Who was that? Yes. I was in an acting class at the time in New York City, And it was a snowy night, and our teacher turned around and said to us, he was like, you all have a story to tell. Stop waiting for the phone to ring for your next audition. Go out there and tell it. And I stumbled out of that acting class that night. It was a snowy night in the West Village. And I kept saying to myself, I know I have a story to tell. I have been journaling, which was very important in my early recovery, my story about how I started using. But I never knew how it ended. 
because I feel that my story still continues to this day, right? It's Mm -hmm. the story of my life. And so I never saw what the ending was. And the day after this class, I took a nap and I woke up from the nap and I started writing and I was just writing, writing, writing. And when I put the pen down, I realized it was the story of my first day at work, my first year clean at the diner in my hometown. And that's when I realized that's the story that I need to tell. That's the story that will be able to move people, that will be able to touch people. And really my intention was to bridge a gap between addicts and non-addicts and to be able to start a compassionate conversation about recovery. Because you're there waiting on tables among people who remember that you left Long Island, uh, bridge and tunnel kid, uh, to go to the you know to go to Manhattan and become an actress had some success and and now you're back here that must have been an excruciating moment not not only for you but for them because well you know what do they say to you what are you doing back here um, it's a gr- it's a great idea it's a great idea for filling out that story the story about about the treatment and recovery because as I said you know most people don't deal with that first that first step as you said. Let, let me ask you something. In, in uh, you know your your uh, your profession uh, sees a number of people who are um, you know victims and casualties of uh, substance abuse and wild living. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's death, uh, you know, shocked uh, and uh, frightened everybody, uh, his fans. But it must have had a particular impact in in your community. Do you remember how you felt when you when you found that? Because he had been sober for a very long time. Yes, I was, I I never personally had the opportunity to work with him. However, I have seen a lot of his work with his theater company here in New York City. And it was a very profound moment for me when when his passing came, uh, not just for a fellow addict in recovery, but also just for his presence and his impact on the theater community as well. Do you worry about relapse? No. No, I feel that you you get to a certain point where it just becomes life. It just becomes your way of living. Yeah. Before with drugs, now without drugs, it's better. So, so you just keep you just keep doing that. Let me ask you something again. I want to get back to Grace and the idea of that first year. To, have 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 you ever seen? Are there other films that you've seen that you thought got close to actually depicting what it's like to be abusing substances? Does anything come off the top of your mind? Off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, there's ton, there's tons of great films about the nature of addiction. Uh, my intention was we can all watch a movie and learn how to shoot a bag of dope, smoke a crack pipe, but I Mm -hmm. have yet to see movies that really talk about how to get clean, how to stay clean, what that journey is, and what how that's to survive like. your emotions yeah. on a daily basis yeah. Yeah. For, kind of thing. For me, but there's great movies on addiction. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For, for me, though, uh, that, that was the... Uh, that, that, that's the signature uh, importance of, of your uh, short film, Grace. Um, that first year, uh, you're, you're right. Everybody knows the other stories. Uh, this is a, a unique look. How, so w- quickly here, how, you, you've taken this thing around the world to a lot of festivals. You, you show it in uh, to people in uh, 
treatment context in treatment in the context? Yes, I've had such a pleasure and honor to tour the festival circuit with the film, winning a ton of awards, which was wonderful. That this story is being accepted on a public level as a piece of art and as an important conversation to have, as well as. I did a fundraiser screening of it sponsored by Amazon in my hometown. We raised $19,000 for local youth services in Suffolk County on Long Island. I actually last year was a part of the Rally in the Valley, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania recovery event, which was phenomenal. And I got to take the film Grace into the Lehigh County Jail for the female inmates and speak with them as well as speak at the Rally in the Valley event. And since then, I've also been screening at colleges throughout the country, screening the film, sharing my story, talking about recovery. And I'm currently in talks with bringing it to high school curriculum for health classes, because up until this point, there is no piece of teaching material that deals with the nature of recovery. All the teaching materials are, this is heroin, this is what happens, this is crack, this is what happens. However, there's not a recovery component in the educational material. And so I was invited to an educational conference over the summer to present it to 60 superintendents of uh, public high schools throughout the country. So we're kind of in talks with that as well. That's great. That's great. And and she's not done. When we come back, we'll find out work that is going to bring um, Marissa Vitale to the Philadelphia area. This is Recovery Radio. Stick around. We're back. It's Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano uh, with you and our guest, Marissa Vitale, actress, producer, writer, uh, creator of uh, the short film Grace, which which has been uh, accepted a lot of commercial places and film festivals around the world and has been put to great use in a therapeutic context by showing people what that first year is like in sobriety, getting sober and staying staying that way. Um, so, Grace, I know you're going to be in the Philadelphia area working. T- tell us about that. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to my upcoming project. It's called Hungry Ghost, and it is written and directed by Mark Burkowski, who's also a local Kensington native, uh, most prominently known for being on Boardwalk Empire, and we're bringing his film Hungry Ghost to the Kensington neighborhood. We're going to be shooting there, and Hungry Ghost, it's a man's desperate search for his drug-addicted wife, which forces him to live with his own demons or die with hers. And so the intention with this film is really to raise awareness and to shine a light on the opioid epidemic in the streets of Kensington. So we are really looking forward to being able to shoot and create this tiny but mighty film once again continuing the conversation of addiction and recovery yeah yeah. Uh, kensington is regrettably um pretty well known now with regard to this epidemic uh it's almost ground zero for the devastation um how did you get it did he reach out to you did you reach out to him who do you play in the movie Uh, Yes. Well, Mark has been a colleague of mine for many years at this point, and he had contacted me that he had written this short film, and he was looking for a producer at the time, and I'm currently in Los Angeles, and he called me out there, and 
he reached out to me based on the success that I had with Grace because he's looking to do a similar uh, run and journey with his film. And he said he was looking for a producer. And I said, well, I would love to work with you, so I'll produce it. And that's how the work relationship on this project was born. Oh, so you're producing and not, not appearing in this? Yes, correct. Okay. Um, you know what? You'll last longer as a producer, right? <laughs> It's <laughs> the way that works. You, but, uh, you know what? Uh, your story is very inspiring. Um, you know, you, you had a lot going for you, and you uh, were, as you know, almost lost it all. So it's great to see that you've gotten, uh, you not only got your sobriety back, but you got your love back, which is to be a, a, an artist and, and, cre- and create things. Just a little bit about before, you know, this all came off the rails. You, you were working pretty steadily. A couple of soap operas. What are the soap operas you did? I have been featured on Bold and the Beautiful and One Life to Live. What, what, what are, I've often wanted to take an opportunity to ask you what it's like to be um, a soap opera actor. Is that, is that shot every day? And what is that like? It's actually a very rigorous shooting process. I have so much respect for soap opera actors because they are shooting about 90 pages a day and shooting every day 90 90 90 pages of the script a day yes at times (laughs) it can be up to that much yes it's a pretty rigorous shooting schedule that they're under who did you play in those soap operas were you a vixen or were you a good person or what were you i could say i was a good person yeah, they don't last I'm long. A good person. They don't. La- <laughs> they don't. They don't last. I played a few good people on those shows. <laughs> they don't last long in the, on soap operas. What What do you see? What Listen, uh, this work that you're doing now, uh, specific to substance abuse and and recovery, is important work. And if you did that for the rest of your life as a producer, writer, and actress, that would be commendable. But, but do you worry at all as a as a you know creative person that, that you might get stuck? you know, typecast, I guess, in, in this? Or you worry about that at all? No, not at all, because I have other projects that I'm working on as well. I have Carbon at the moment, which is a grounded sci-fi. It's a female-driven feature film that we are currently in talks with that will be going into production at the end of the year. And so I kind of find that a lot of these recovery projects are my heart projects and passion projects and my way to be of service and to give back with the gifts that I have. And then I also have a lot of the other content mm-hmm. that I'm interested in doing. Uh, previously in New York, I was producing for Condé Nast heading up all their digital content for Glamour and Allure magazine. So I have worked in other areas and other subject matters as well. Marissa, thanks so much uh, for your work and uh, for your time, time here in the program. Um, and again, give us the website so people can check out Grace. Yes, of course. Be sure to come to our website. It's www.grace-the-movie.com. You can follow me personally on social media from Instagram or Facebook, and that's Marissa Vitale. And I look forward to connecting with you there. When Thanks you, so much for listening. Marissa, thank you for your time. When you get to Philadelphia, give us a call again. I definitely will. Thank you so much. And thank you all for your uh, attention. Uh, Recovery Radio, look for us where, wherever finer podcasts are available. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.